to enjoy life. You have one chance and you have one heart. And if you carry all that hatred in your heart, you're preventing yourself that happiness that life is all about. You should just enjoy life, enjoy what life has to offer. And for me personally, there is nothing better in life than the laughter of a child, than to be able to pay it forward and help somebody in need, to watch them find that inner spirit and inner life again. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. This is Victoria with a Contagious Smile. I'm going to go ahead and ask that you guys take a second and get some Kleenexes because we're going to be very raw on today's episode. I have a wonderful lady here with me today named Melissa, who has agreed to come on and share her story of survival to help inspire everyone else that may not be where she is just yet. So thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So you are a survivor of domestic violence. Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about your story? Yes. Um, I met my perpetrator when I was in high school and then, um, we ended up becoming more of an item as I got a little bit older. Um, uh, I'm trying not to it's okay. It's okay. okay. She's new at this. And, and so we're giving her as much leeway as she wants. We just want her comfortable. Okay, well, I was with my abuser for five years. Um, it started off initially like every other domestic violence starts relationship starts off where um, he would lie to me. He would try to make me feel bad about myself. He'd call me names. Um, he would try to hit me in places that... Nobody else would see. Yes. Um, he also, another thing that he would do was he was very sexually... Um, sexually aggressive like if I did not want to entertain um the thought of us being intimate and stuff like that he would pressure me to the point of uh, where you could consider it rape as well what was the age difference Melissa between the two of you um we were he's a year older than I am okay Mm -hmm. um initially you know in the beginning I just didn't I didn't see the warning signs because I had grew up in a domestic violence household Um, and another thing about it was he was bigger than me. He was stronger than me. And I think that's why a lot, why I felt so afraid to leave because I knew that physically he could hurt me even worse than what he had already been doing. Were you living with him at any point in time? Um, I ended up moving in with him. It was about a year after we had gotten together. Um, I moved in with him and his family. And that was another dynamic because it took the power and control away from me because I was not living in my own home. And that way he could do what he wanted to me because he knew nobody would say anything. So you were living in your boyfriend's home with his parents as a minor? Yes. I was 17 when we got together. Okay. So then what happened? Um, We stayed together for a long time. Uh, the abuse kind of intensified as the, as the years went on, it would be normal, like shoves or, you know, um, and then it started becoming slapping, punching. Um, one time we were staying in a hotel room and we had gotten into a really bad argument and there was a sliding glass door that was behind me. And he literally shoved me so hard and I flew backwards over the bed and almost went through the sliding glass door. But thank God I was able to stop myself. Absolutely. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, there were so many occasions where I knew that I didn't want to live my life that way, but also I had no resources at that time. Because they're not presented to anyone. No. Even today, they don't tell anyone. Absolutely. And I feel like that's another difficulty that a lot of survivors have is where to go for help and who to talk to for help. Right. Because if you um, go to someone and they end up rejecting you, it makes it so much harder on us because we we feel like a whole other level of we're worthless. We don't deserve anything because we go and actually get the strength to ask for help and then we're turned down. So in my mind, when I went through it, it was kind of like, well, maybe he's right. Maybe I am worthless and I don't deserve yes. better because we're not getting the support. I agree with that. And I think that another factor is making sure that you maintain those connections with outside people outside of your relationship. And a lot of times people get, will get upset with their survivor because the survivor is not leaving because they're in a toxic relationship. And when you're in a toxic relationship, you can't see anybody, but that person. And that's something that a lot of people misunderstand. Um, I even tried to go to his own mother and let her know that I was being abused, but she always would downplay it. She would always just try to use it as an excuse like, oh, he just has anger problems or yeah. Um, she would also, another thing that also happened was she even referenced the fact that he had ADHD and that's why he was abusive towards me. And I knew that that was complete crap. Yeah. Yes. Um, but I think that, you know, if you have a family member or a friend that is in one of these relationships, you need to also be aware of your own safety, but you still need to try to maintain contact with that person in some way, because they might be the only one that will reach out to you for help. Right. You know, and um, another one great way to do that is by, uh, by having a code word with the person. Um, it could be spaghetti and meatballs or, right. but if, pizza. yeah, if they're like getting in a situation where they know that their abuse is intensifying and they know that something's fixing that that's going to happen, they could just text you spaghetti and meatballs and you could call the police to that address. Right. So what made you, or how did you get out of that situation? The final straw for me was I had, we had a child together. Um, there were two incidents that took, that took place at the time. The first one involved, I I was living in Florida and the place that we were living at, he would come home from work every day and he would become verbally abusive towards me. Mm -hmm. He would call me names. And one day I was standing in the kitchen and he came in and he started berating me about the fact that he didn't want pork chops for dinner. And there was a knife that was sitting next to me and I, and my daughter was in this like pop-up playpen thing. Right. And he starts berating me and I'm getting upset. Like I'm starting to cry and I just start feeling the rage. And I look over at my daughter who wasn't even able to walk yet. And she just is, she's watching this. Yeah. And I remember when I was younger having to watch that and I did not want that for my child. Um, because it will continue. They're yeah. either they're either going to become an abuser or they're going to be victimized. Unless Again, we can stop that cycle. Yes, absolutely. And um, so I've made up my mind in that moment that I was no longer going to have my child in that type of lifestyle. Um, so I ended up calling my sister and she and her friend that was in the army 
and a couple other people while he was at work one day, they came and they brought a truck and got all my belongings out of the place. Um, so I moved somewhere else in Florida. Um, and I started a new life for myself. I started working. I had support, um, for my sister, you know, she, she knew I was struggling and it was crazy because, you know, she, she also grew grew up in the home that I did with the domestic violence and she didn't want that for my child either. So I stayed there for about maybe six months. I was doing really well. And lo and behold, he starts reaching out to me. He starts reaching out to me, wanting to see his daughter, wanting to be involved with his daughter. And I feel like with, with domestic violence, especially if the perpetrator is a male partner, like my dad was my mom's perpetrator. There's a feeling of abandonment because you don't get that male contact. Right. And so when you see as a, you know, as a victim and you see your child having to go out with, go without their father, you want to try to reinforce that familial bond, Mm -hmm. but you don't understand. You don't understand how dangerous they are. And this is where I learned my final lesson. Um, I let him come and move in with me. Oh no! I did. I let him come in and move in with me. And I had made other friends in the area. There was a male friend that I had at the time. We were not intimately involved. We were just friends. He would, you know, I didn't have a vehicle. He would help me. Well, one day he had taken me to the store and we came back and my abuser was waiting for us downstairs um, for us to get out of the vehicle. And he played it really cool. He played it like everything was fine. He wasn't jealous. And that's another thing. He was so jealous. I couldn't even look up in a store. If I looked up in a store in front of him, I knew it was coming when we we got home. Right. Um, But anyways, going back to the story. Um, So as soon as we got into the apartment and he locked that door, it was on. He shoved me like I was wheeling the stroller in, and he shoved me and I hit the wall and I just, I started panicking. Um, so I was like, well, let me go take our child upstairs. I'm going to go lay her down for a nap trying to, because I was, yes. And I was trying to deescalate. And that's another thing when they're in a rage, you have like, you shouldn't have to, but I already knew. I already knew if I didn't deescalate, what what else would happen? Um, So I go and I stick my daughter in the crib. And as I'm coming back downstairs, you know, um, we're arguing. He's he's accusing me of sleeping with this guy. And I had never even thought about it at the time um, at all. And he starts calling me names, starts calling me really, really derogatory names and starts threatening me. And I hear my daughter upstairs crying. So I was like, well, I'm going to make her a bottle and I'm going to go feed her real quick and we'll finish this conversation. And the whole time I'm trying to plan how, I'm, how am I going to get out of this house? This is an upstairs, downstairs. My daughter's upstairs right. and there's no other way to get out of that place except for get out the window. And I'm like, there's no way I could do this with a baby right. in my hands. Right. So <laughs> I end up. I I'm making the bottle and he takes the bottle for me and he's like, no, I'm going to feed her. And I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, so I walk upstairs and you know, he's, it's just the whole time I'm trying to plan how I'm going to survive. If he, if he tries to hurt her because he had made threats about hurting her too. Yeah. And well, anyway, so finally I get her in my hands 
And I had, no, let me, let me rewind. I had went upstairs to feed her. And then I remember locking the door or trying to lock the door and there was not a lock on the door. And he ended up being in the room with us while I'm feeding her. And I had opened the window before he came upstairs because I already knew that it was going to start getting like more of an escalatory feel. And he was going to start screaming and yelling because that's what he did. So as I'm, when I get done feeding her, he's like, he tries to, you know, he's arguing with me still and I'm getting ready to go walk down the stairs. And the next thing I know, he literally shoves me and my daughter. She's in my hands off the top of the stairs and we land at the bottom, but thank God I had crisscrossed my arms because I knew, I knew if I, if I wouldn't have done anything, but that it would have killed her because yeah. she took, she pretty much took all the force from that fall, but I had my arms like outstretched in front of me to block the blow. And then the next thing I know he's taking her out of my hands and he's leaving the apartment and he's telling me I'm never going to see my daughter again. And it's crazy because I know a lot of bad things or a lot of good things can come from bad places. Well, in this area, there were some people and I knew that they were doing some illegal activities. Um, And it was, it wasn't a secret in the neighborhood. And they knew that this was my daughter that he had. And he starts walking around the the complex and starts telling me how I'm never going to see her again. He's taken her to live with her, his parents and just making all these threats. Well, the next thing I know we're surrounded by like five or six big old guys. And the dude, the biggest dude is like, you need to give her her daughter back. And he, he was always this type of person. He didn't, he wasn't scared of anybody, but having those six guys around him, it's like finally somebody was standing up to him that he couldn't manipulate, that he couldn't hurt. And the next thing I know, like I had grabbed my daughter and we were kind of almost in a tug of war with her and he finally let go. And I never let her go around him again after that day. But the cops got called and a lot of people, especially in law enforcement, need to remember that if you have a victim of domestic violence and they are even remotely near their perpetrator. They are not going to tell you what's really going on. Of course not. That's why they take them separate. Yep. They take one officer takes the perp and the other one takes the victim and yep. they crisscross and get stories from the other one. And always, even if you have suspicion, give that, give those victims resources, find any, any way to give them the resource or even just anything, because I feel like being resourceful is one way to combat domestic violence. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how is your daughter now? She is wonderful. Um, she is not a baby anymore. Um, she has asked me about her biological dad and I never lied to her. I always told her the truth and she understands. And what's even great at the end of the story is that she actually has a father. He adopted her. Um, he has raised her since she was she was um, a year and I feel like she is a huge advocate as well for, for these situations. Cause she knows that she was a part of that and she doesn't ever want to see any other kid go through that either. Right. That's gotta be very hard as a child. Absolutely. So you broke free and you're out of it. Congratulations. Now what happens to you and your psyche after all of this has transpired? 
one thing I really want to talk on is about having firm boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people think that domestic violence has a lot to do with love for another person, but it really has a lot to do with love for yourself sometimes. Right. Um, I did over the last couple of years, I, um, I have advocated for other victims. I've worked in a shelter. I've done all of these things. And although I loved it, there was a lot of parts of me that were still left unhealed. And I feel like if you're going to get into this kind of work, or if you're going to, you know, cause everybody needs a place to put that energy, right? When, when you go through things, you want to make sure if you're an advocate or if you're a justice fighter or whatever, you want to make sure that you're reaching out those tentacles and trying to help other people that are just going through what you're going through. And I feel like boundaries are a big part of that. Um, when you set really firm boundaries, it lets you know what you will and will not tolerate in your life. Right. Um, and I feel like we think that sometimes we deserve these things and we think that these abusers are the strong ones, but when all actuality, we're the strong ones. They're the cowards. They're the weak ones. Um, and that's something that every survivor needs to remember. Yeah, I tell people when I'm in speaking engagements or even just one-on-one that you have survived 100% of your hardest days. And I tell them, let that resonate for just a second. Think about it. No matter how hard it's been, you've survived 100% of your hardest days. And I think that really, you know, lets them see. And I tell them that they still have their inner light. It might be flickering. It might be dimming. But we can get it back. We can bring it back. Because they deserve it. They deserve to be happy. And they deserve love. And they deserve happiness and freedom. And not have to worry about every move they make. You know, I've heard so many times well, why didn't you just do what he wanted and you would have made him mad? Well, you know what? Let me tell you, you could do everything to the T, to verbatim that he wants. Mm-hmm. Somebody cuts him off on the way home. Somebody yelled at him at work. You know, maybe his side item broke up with him. It doesn't, you know, one million things that could happen and he's still going to come home and make us the punching ground. Yeah. So, you know, when people make that comment, I have one lady, I'll never forget it. I was speaking in a forum and I was really glad that the survivor brought her mom and her mom's like, she, you know, she deserved it. And I told her she deserved everything that happened. Well, I was told the same thing. So I said to her, I said, let me ask you a question. You know, one, four women are abused. If that is the statistic, that is the statistic that is out there, how many aren't reporting it? If you're looking at the Mm -hmm. one and four. And I said, you know, I'm so happy for you that you're one of the three that haven't good for you, but nobody raises their hand and says, Hey, I want to go get beaten up today. Like this is our, our want for the day. Absolutely. That doesn't happen. And I said, let me ask you something. Let's imagine your worst day of your life. You want to go home to your husband or your spouse, partner, your kids, and you want the support. You want to make them feel better. Your worst day of your life is one of our best while we're in this situation. Yeah. And during that time, I want you just to imagine that your support team is just belittling you, degrading you, you know, just wiping out any self-worth you have left. And it's still a good day for us. So I say, don't walk in other people's shoes if you don't know how to tie their laces, because you have no idea what they're going to do. And instead of, you know, hurting us more and more, because this is our support system and everyone wants to know why we don't reach out, it's because we can't take on any more humiliation. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, how about instead of being on the negative side, be a part of our positive side. You know, if we're not ready to talk, just sit in a room with us and let us know we're not alone. If we're okay touching, hold our hand and sit with us or just let us talk and you listen. Let us know that we are not alone and we're worth fighting for. And when I say that, the lady just kind of says, oh, well, mm, I don't know. I said, okay, well, let me 
tell you this hypothetically, and I do not wish Bill will, but if you ended up with a brain tumor, you're going to have to go to a neurologist. And she's mm-hmm. like, yeah. I said, would you go to a podiatrist and let them handle for you? And she's like, why would I do that to a foot doctor? I said, why are you jumping to conclusions and telling her what she should and shouldn't do mm-hmm. if you haven't been in that situation? Support them. Don't turn away from them. You could offer them an ear, maybe bring them shelter. Maybe, you know, there's so many things that you could do to help them get out. And that is the problem with today's society because they don't offer that. Um, there's another story that I want to add. And I think this kind of really highlights what victims go through. Um, there were, it was an incident between me and my ex and we had, we were at a subway restaurant. And so another thing, my ex was very jealous. I couldn't look at anybody else, but he could. Mm -hmm. And, um, we were sitting there in the restaurant and he, and he kept looking behind me. And when I turned around, it was another girl that we had known in high school. That was, you know, I, I would always compare myself to other women mm-hmm. because my self-esteem was so low. low and rotted and just, I felt worthless and he would laugh about it. He was laughing about it. And so when I turned around to confront him, you know what he did? What he threw his entire sub in my face. Now this is, this restaurant is full of people, full of people. Mm -hmm. And I am only like 17 or 18 years old. And he throws the sub in my face and then he dumps his drink all over me and leaves me sitting in this restaurant, sobbing, sobbing. And all these people are looking at me. Not one of them, not one came up and asked me if I was okay. Because mm-hmm. they, they think we have the plague and we're going to pass it Yes, them. And it's not and true. I just can't even express how alone I felt in that moment. And that's part of the reason why I stayed. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, and I get, I get emotional about this because it was so real. Take it fine, it's okay. You're helping so many people by showing them how strong they are and they can survive this too. And I remember going back to that hotel room and just facing another beating again and thinking, is this really my life? Is this really what, where I want to be? And, you know, I just didn't have any resources. I didn't have access. But I think that one thing that really needs to start happening is people need to start talking about this stuff. Yes. Like, no matter where you're at, if you're a survivor and you have a moment and you're alone with another woman or you're, you know, um, you're in a safe area to have these conversations, have them, just have them because we got to stop being silent. We got to start speaking up. We got to start advocating for ourselves and for others, because some people need somebody advocating for their, them, you know, for the other person and stuff like that. And I feel like that that's a struggle too, as well, because you don't want to get too involved because you you got to be concerned for your own safety, but there's nothing wrong with having that conversation and saying, is everything okay? Right. Or I'm here when you're ready to talk. Yep. You're not alone. Exactly. You know, when I talked to other women before and, you know, when I was working in corporate America, I knew that there was a girl and, and I always say, I don't care if it's one hit, one kick, one slap, it's still one thing. Yes. You know, and I don't, I've never compared what I went through to anybody else. It's abuse period. I don't, it's not a who got more than I exactly. got. And I knew that one of the girls in the office was getting beaten. And so literally I would bring her breakfast every morning. Um, 
order lunch for her and, you know, just do things like that because you, they control the finances most oh, of the yeah. time. Absolutely. And she was looking very frail, very scared. The phone rang at her cubicle. She jumped. And wow. so I knew that it was a really bad situation. And so like when we did bonuses and stuff at the job, I pushed for her to get the biggest bonus. And then I matched that bonus out of my own pocket and said, take this, get out, you know, mm-hmm. get away. And I did it out of my own because, you know, if you could help one person, that's mm-hmm. the best beginning you could possibly do. And it's like a lot of times, you know, like even, I don't know if anybody out there works in the domestic violence field, they, they can really identify with this. Sometimes when you're working in that field, like you have a job to do, you have to make sure your clients are doing this, 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 and this, and this. Mm-hmm. Um, but initially what you need to be doing is making sure that they are safe and you need to let them have that time to process everything. Um, I feel like if you put too much on a victim, you're going to set them up for failure too. Absolutely. You know, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And you'll burn them out. So one thing, you know, that I would always advocate for when ladies would first come into our shelter is I'd be like, take a couple days. And if you just want to talk, I'm here. Right. You know, um, and a lot of times they would be knocking at my door, Yeah. you know, because I was the go-to, you Mm -hmm. know, like, because I would listen and it's easy to be on the outside looking in like a lot of times, you know, in these fields, like it's easy to be up, but when you're not experiencing the actual trauma and the actual physical violence and you know, the, the bruises and things like that, it's, it's totally different. You can't go by the textbook. You've got to go by humanistic traits. Right. It's like a doctor has to go through his program and then residency and, you know, and all that hands-on training. I believe everybody should get professional help, counseling, therapy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I always tell everybody, you know, I've got plenty of school behind me. I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but I would definitely say I have a doctorate in school of hard knocks. And I would never say, this is what I say you should do. I always say, this is what I would do. This is what I did. Um, but 99.99%, I would rather go and have someone who can relate and empathize mm-hmm. because a te- anybody can read a textbook. I mean, even doctors who are, going to practice medicine have to do hands-on training yes you know it's a big difference I mean I went through counseling for most of my life and then now you know I would much rather sit down and hear from someone who says this is how I made it through let's try to find something that will work for you and you're not giving them the advice you're there giving support absolutely and also you have to you know after the domestic violence takes place one thing that was a real struggle is you got to be sympathetic, but you also have to hold them accountable. Absolutely. You know, and that's part of, that's part of learning about the trauma. Like you may not have got that abuser to put his hands on you, but what you do after that is your choice. Right. You know, um, and I know that it's a toxic cycle and I know that they're great manipulators. They know how to pull you back. Yes. They know how to pull you back in, but you got to think about it like this. Is this going to be my last time or is this going to be the time that my family has a funeral? Um, we had a, we had a specific woman that had been on our shelter and she was murdered. Um, I remember her and she was just one of the most kindest people that you could ever have met. And I remember hearing the news and hearing about what had happened to her and her children. Her children died too. Yes. Um, and she, she was really dead set. She was, she was on it. She did not want to go back to him, but he just could not let go. And I feel like, you know, 
there's there's quite a few things that show up in a fatality report um or not a fatality report it's like you ask certain questions and um the answers to those questions kind of gauge what level of lethality that you're at and I mean she must have scored like a nine or a ten and I looked at her and I was like if you don't get out of this you're gonna die like and I'm very blunt like yes you are yeah I'm too maybe I'm too blunt but (laughs) I'd rather be blunt than lie to her and tell her everything's gonna be all right because that these situations are never all right when when they start putting their hands on you or when they start calling you names and making you feel worthless, you need to, that's why I said firm boundaries. Don't consider them yellow, red flags, consider them deal breakers. Yeah. You know, I got a lot of slack and I own my mistakes and nobody's perfect, but I give my ex-husband permission to go out and have other women. People give me such a hard time about that. They're like, why would you let your husband go out and cheat on you? Well, I'm pregnant and he's beating the hell out of me. So let's see if he's not at home, he's not beating me. Right. And I don't want him hurting anyone else. But I'm pregnant and I'm looking out for myself and my child, you know, and in the beginning, as you know, they do that courtship phase, oh, love yeah. bombing phase. Mm-hmm. So he could go out with other women and I would not be getting broken all over again. And so I absolutely get permission for him to go and, and see other women, you know, I mean, don't be home, please go, go somewhere else. And people didn't understand why I was so supportive of that because we only had consensual sex twice. Yeah. Everything else was violent rape. I mean, rape is violent anyway, but yeah. we're talking about strangulation. He tried to cut my daughter out from my groin um, where I have the scars down there. Oh there God. is so much done that, you know, when he's like, I'm going out with another woman. Okay. You know, because you have to watch every word you say. You have to watch oh, yeah. how you act, how you walk, what you wear, because everything and anything could send them off and make it just explode. I was not allowed to wear makeup. I put on chapstick and I was called a slut. Yep. I because was... my lips were chapped. It was winter. And another, and you know, um, and I will say this when, you know, my, my current marriage, you know, I think it was one time my husband had some said something to me about why I was asking me why I was putting makeup on and it triggered me. Mm-hmm. And he, it was because he thought he was saying that he thought that I was beautiful, that I didn't need it. But what my mind went back to was he's trying to control me. And now I have this, I do have an issue sometimes when it's hard to decipher, you know, when somebody is being genuine. Right. And when somebody is being controlling and that's hard as a survivor as well. Absolutely. 100%. Yes. But you can be happy. You can find happiness. Yep, absolutely. At the end of the tunnel, you can find it and that's worth fighting for. And do not jump into another relationship when you leave a domestic violence relationship. I gave myself a year after I had left my ex. I gave myself a year. Years. Yeah, because I was like, I don't want to bring this, even though it was out of, you know, I was done with the situation. I did not want to bring that emotional it still came up yeah but I I guarantee if I would have jumped right into another relationship after that domestic violence relationship it would have been with somebody else that was probably 10 times worse Mm -hmm. because they look for that there's perpetrators out there that look for people like us and they're so smart oh yeah and I hate to give them that credit I really don't want to give them any credit but you have to they're very manipulative they're very charming and charismatic and they find that weak string you have about yourself and then they just make it the 4th of July and blow it up with fireworks. Yeah. 
I totally agree with that. So if you have to give the listeners a inspirational piece of advice, what would you give them? Don't be silent about it. Don't hold those motions and um, get outside help if you can, if you can leave, um, especially if you have children. Um, I know it's hard, but you can do this and you don't want this kind of lifestyle for your kids. And I feel like a lot of times kids get ca- caught in the crosshairs and they might not, they might not hurt you, but they might hurt those kids. Um, you can do it. I mean, there's so many people out there that have done this and I feel like they want you to be weak because they want to control you. And you just have to realize that just taking that initial step can save your entire life. Absolutely. Now, if anybody wants to get a hold of Melissa, they can join our Facebook group, which is a contagious smile on Facebook. And um, she is in there. And you have written a book that hopefully will come out sometime soon. Yes. I'm so excited. I haven't, um, I haven't decided on a name. My, my, my oldest child, she wants to help me figure out the name and she's probably going to do the artistry on my, the the front page. So I'm excited about that. Do you think I can talk you into doing another show with us before you roll out and we can roll the podcast out with the book coming out? Absolutely. Wouldn't that be awesome? I would be so excited. (laughs) We have another guest um, who is writing. She's written quite a few, but she's written one more that's coming out in a few weeks. And we're going to uh, promote and do a show about that right before the day before book comes out. Awesome. So absolutely. And that'll be promoted everywhere. We're on 19 platforms, YouTube, Facebook, you name it, we're there. So we'll absolutely spread that word. Absolutely. Yes. So I want to thank you because, you know, Contagious Smile, every smile tells a story. And I want to thank you for taking the time to share yours today. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. She did really well, guys. I really, if you hear this podcast, go give five stars because she really, really did a great job. She held herself together really well. This is one of the very few times that she's ever opened up to anybody and and did that because she wants to help others get through what we've been through. So I really appreciate it. And we will all talk soon.